My name is Odanga Madung. I'm a data journalist and researcher at Odipodev, which is a market research company. But my data journalism is mostly freelance work, so I work for various media organizations. Yeah, so Otanga, thank you so much for uh, joining me. And uh, what have you been up to? I've been working on, I think, a few things. I've been trying to investigate um, disinformation online. Um, basically, you're looking at, you know, what ways are, you know, this digital ecosystem that we have come to live and thrive on making human lives worse. And then number two, I've also been doing quite a bit of work on air pollution, just basically trying to look and see in what ways is the air that we breathe killing us and what are the broken systems that we have that are leading to, you know, this, what we're like, what we're now trying to call the invisible plague, you know, this whole thing that we can't see it, but it's definitely slowly by slowly killing us. So that's something that I've really been pondering about and I've been trying to um, break down for audiences. So what is interesting for those who don't know about you uh, is that you're working in the media space, but you're not a journalist. So how did you get started with that? (laughs) Yeah, I like to call myself like a busybody in media. (laughs) It's actually not my primary job. What is your primary job? My primary job is that I'm a market researcher. Yeah. Um, And I'm a market researcher specifically specializing in understanding audiences that consume media and understanding consumer psychology. So basically trying to understand people's attitudes and perceptions towards various products. And so through that, I got to interact a lot with people in advertising and through understanding people in advertising, as a result, I've gotten to interact a lot with people in journalism or rather specifically in media so somewhere along the line of all that interaction i started telling stories um with data upon which people informed me that what i was doing was journalism and so as a result i started (laughs) i just decided to take up that and i've been training in it ever since just trying to learn exactly what it takes to be one okay so you're an accidental journalist Exactly that, accidental, yeah. One thing that uh, those of us who work in the industry are probably not very good at is to try to listen to what, you know, to basically what people think about us. So what do you think about journalism? In this case, obviously, you mostly work in Kenya. So what do you think about, uh, you know, journalism in Kenya? Well, I think um, journalism in Kenya is at an interesting crossroads um, because we've we have some very real threats facing us in that which is or rather the most the biggest threat that is facing us right now is the decline in revenues um coming from media houses right and what that inadvertently means is that we are more susceptible to political coercion number one number two well, we are more basically we are more susceptible to influence from owners, politicians, and the likes. Number one, which is basically higher powers that be, and then number two, you know, it just means that layoffs, right? That it's becoming harder and harder to make money um, by trying to be, you know, a journalist in the traditional sense. And I come from the unique perspective of seeing how, you know, various brands 
end marketers also make the decisions as to how you know how they spend their advertising money and you know working from both ends of the spectrum where you see how the money gets spent and then you come to the other side to try and tell the stories um, that actually make that money uh, for the journalists it's a very surreal sort of experience because you know you've got on one side a lot of advertisers seeing that you know perhaps media is not able to deliver the goods as well as it used to because it's fragmented you know audiences are no longer paying attention as much and of course number it's getting increasingly polarized and then you've got the other end um, where I've often noted that it seems like media is completely disconnected from what these conversations that brands are having. And how and do you so, fix that? Well, of course, the usual is to try and find, I mean, number one, you have, there's the option of media houses starting agencies, which you've seen, I think, guys like The Nation Tryout, Yeah which of course follows a much larger trend of you know guys like Vox and the New York Times setting their own brand studios um, to try and sort of cut out the middleman that is the big advertising agencies and media agencies. Um, and I, you can clearly see that that sort of formation is happening here, right? Um, <clears throat> number two, of course, is you know guys, guys really need to understand their audiences number one, and number two, understand that brands have a very clear understanding of where audiences are and what is currently working with audiences, which is why, you know, you're finding that media budgets are being shifted um, to other things that brands perceive would work, such as roadshows and uh, not just roadshows, um, you know, below the line activation. So basically having activations within supermarkets that sales rep you see within the supermarket right now is being considered to be more effective than placing an advert in the newspaper and what that means is the way our journalism is funded is disappearing and in some ways is completely shifting because you know newspaper circulation numbers have been in decline forever so you, you know this whole landscape is really shifting and you know whenever i talk to a lot of journalists a lot of them have absolutely no clue that these conversations are happening and that the future of what of the way they are making money um, is possibly about to seriously shrink. What are the things that the media uh, in Kenya and probably in, in Africa should be doing to fix some of the challenges that you think are urgent? Understanding how young audiences consume media and what they expect out of it. Um, I think that is definitely perhaps the, the best, the most succinct way I could put it. Um, because we are still operating in sort of an old paradigm of how we deliver content. But the, it seems from what it looks like, right, and from what other players have done and have been able to rise, it looks like they have actually understood what it takes. So I'll give an example, right? You've got Tuko and Kenyans, Tuko, Kenyans.co.ke, Mpasho, and Pulse Live, right? All so, sort of, in a way, digitally punching above their weight 
vis-a-vis the big players who are guys like NTV, KTN, um, NTV, KTN, uh, and City. Some of those websites that you've mentioned, they uh, focus on entertainment and probably a lot more salacious stories. So, you know, you and that is obviously has its audience and it's uh, very popular with people. So do you think that that's what the mainstream media should also be doing? No, the, the lines are blurred. You see, that's the thing. The lines are blurred, and then we have to also be perhaps consider what the what Facebook's algorithm is serving up towards audiences, right? Um, the fact that they are in some ways punching above their weight means that they in so, sometimes they are shifting the real news off of people's plates, if I could probably put it that way, right? It's not that they should copy what these guys are doing. It's perhaps that they should borrow some of the formats, right? Because when you look at the content that is being served up by one mainstream organization vis-a-vis what these new digitally, primarily, primarily digital audience or rather primarily digital outlets are doing, you notice that a lot of the content that is served up by the mainstream guys is purely off format, right? It does not subscribe to what the rules, um, or rather, what the best practices of serving up new of serving up content on an algorithm, right? Fueled by, or rather, uh, an engagement fueled algorithm by Facebook are supposed to abide to. Whereas, when you look at guys, what guys like the New York Times and Vox and the rest are doing, you can easily tell that there's a very big difference between how they serve up news for the internet vis-a-vis how our primary guys serve up news for the internet. But when you look on the other side and you look at guys like Tuko, Kenyans, and the rest, you can tell that there are some, there's a certain way they are appealing to a digitally first sort of publishing um, practice. In terms of roles, in terms of resources, how does the uh, Kenyan media, for example, I mean, is it a matter of hiring people like yourself uh, to kind of get that new thinking uh, in the newsroom, or you know, how do you get them started? Well, it's a systemic thing, you know. Um, you could try and hire some talent, you know, to to try and maybe shift things around. But there's a certain way of thinking that that probably the the entire organization needs to be trained in, you know, understanding that um, you know the right kind of analytical thinking, the whole thing of not leaving analytics to be the preserve of an analyst within within the newsroom. Um, I think I've seen cases whereby some news outlets will have a journalist submit five tweets that they think could work with their story um, on top of submitting their own story. Like when you submit a story, you submit five tweets that you think would work with this story, you know. I think that's the kind of a shift that needs to happen, right? If we are really going to try and, you know, really adapt to audiences, because I, I do I do genuinely think that we're lagging behind. Um, because, you know, right now we are still sort of, we're not creating evergreen content. We're still creating content for for the news cycle and perhaps you know maybe the best way to ensure that we are getting clicks over time 
you know, requires, it just basically requires a very fundamental shift in how we think about the way content is created and how to harness audiences towards our assets. Because, you know, that's, that's primarily, you know, the kind of thinking that needs to be done. You know, we need new positions. You know, somehow our news outlets don't have, you know, positions for people who are, you know, someone who is a growth editor, you know, their only work is understand looking at audiences and understanding okay how do we first of all make sure our audiences don't dwindle and how do we make sure that our audiences are growing you know typically we still don't have such positions within our newsrooms and in some ways it's reflective of the problems that we're currently having that's what i'm saying it's a very systemic thing new positions need to be made journalists need to be trained anew you know it's we are literally trying to move an anchor here and um it's going to take time before we respond. Um, yeah. Let's talk about you. Uh, you are currently in Berlin. What are you doing there? As I mentioned before, I've been trying to get training in in journalism. So I'm currently at the Dochevela Academy um, doing a data journalism fellowship where we basically get trained by some of the top newsrooms in the world about new journalism or rather new media journalism methods, um, data journalism, best practices, uh, and, you know, basically get connected to a whole bunch of people within the practice so that we can exchange ideas on various projects and techniques as to how best to tell our stories. And I think for me, it's been very beneficial because I think one of my biggest challenges has been, you know, what is the best way to tell a story, especially in this algorithm-fueled distribution mechanism that we have to work with. Well, so so folks like myself who went to journalism school needs to get used to people like yourselves coming into our newsrooms, uh, you know, marketers and uh, data scientists. I mean, it looks like that's the future, isn't it? Yes, yes. There's a very huge drive, actually, to try and get people who aren't necessarily trained journalists um, into journalism. But I do I do also personally wonder, you know, how well that will work, given the dwindling revenues. You know, some of us have to compete um, for opportunities with our primary professions, right? So you can imagine, for example, even in things like finance journalism, you're trying to get more people who work in finance to come in and tell stories, right, and become, and basically become journalists, right? You, there's a huge drive to also get people who are maybe formerly doctors um, to try and shift over to the other side and become journalists. But um, I think perhaps the biggest challenge there will be that as as attractive as it sounds, you know, perhaps the pay package competition that is there, the economic incentives might sort of get in the way of how well that might work out. But I, I really do think that that's perhaps is one of the optimistic sides of where journalism is going, that you know, a lot of people like myself can at least try and get into the profession and see, you know, what and see you know how how what perspe- what new perspectives can we bring to how we see things working so. let's talk about your one of the recent stories that you did about pollution uh, in Kenya can you just take me just briefly uh, you know through the process of uh, reporting the story and what ended up being published okay so 
we basically worked on this story with uh, who with code for africa and their census africa program so they have this census africa program which essentially allows them to put in air quality sensors around various parts of the city which is in this case nairobi and collect air quality data over a certain period of time so we decided to take a look at all this data so they had you know a bunch of all this data lying around and they hadn't yet um at the time they hadn't they, they partially were not using it as much so we decided to take a whole year's worth of that and process it analyze it and see what what stories would come about as a result of it and basically go about investigating the phenomena that we were seeing um it was a very for, for some of the data journalists that probably understand what the process is it was it was a very huge data set with i think over i think 3.4 million rows worth of data so perhaps if people do understand what a data point is if you look at an excel sheet just think about 3.4 million rows of those kind of cells what did you find if i could sum it up number 1 Uh, Nairobi has a serious serious car problem right so the fact that we are tra- importing all these cars and letting all of these old cars um operate within the confines of our roads is essentially actually killing us very slowly um because number one in our data one thing we noticed is that between majority of the areas that had had their worst pollution in the morning and in the evening typically which is when people are people and children are going to school and going to work and in the evening when they're coming back to their homes and that was the first one number 2 is that broken systems are the are let's say the cause behind the cause of what is killing us so if you look at any of the urban problems that we have i mean nation did i realized this when we were doing the story um nation did the red alert and the white alert and you know the stars we doing some fascinating things on you know testing skuma wiki for metals and all that stuff um but when you investigate quite a bit further you realize that you know this was a broken all of these things tied down tie back down to broken systems So I, one good example is in our story we talk about Sukimao and how somehow a, a factory was and that's just a residential outside of Nairobi. Yes, a residential area outside Nairobi and how somehow 150 meters from a residential area a steel factory was built and has been polluting the area so bad that some residents have actually lost their children um due to respiratory illness very chronic respiratory illness you've got um you've got a whole ton of people within the within the resi- within the area talking about how they have this weird cough that never goes away um you know you wake up in the morning your sink is covered in soot you walk outside the car there's a white like substance that has reacted to the paint of your car uh you know there's corrosion on your car you can like typically the paint on your car is being corroded by you know um by the whatever it is that is being released into the air around your area and it's you know getting the testimonies from the people on the ground um 
after talking to them about the kind of effects this pollution is having was was i think very sad because it's not like they hadn't tried to fight what this broken system was doing to them instead they actually yeah. and, w- and what's what's been the reaction to your story uh the reaction to the story has been well first of all i think we we did an amazing visual piece right um in terms of just getting the interactive data visualizations right which i think is a is is something that we've really been trying to encourage within newsrooms um in Kenya so at least for us we were trying to set an example from that front so we got some good feedback on what the piece actually looked how well the piece was um graphically done uh number 2 is we've gotten a whole bunch of experts actually coming to us and telling us you know um this is the kind of data that we had been looking for because we've had one doctor actually come to us and tell us you know um your story actually pinpoints to a lot of the things that we have seen uh within Nairobi we've actually been noticing there has been an increased number of people coming into our into our clinics because of respiratory problems and you know if you speak to some doctors they will definitely tell you that there the 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 landscape of disease in around urban areas in Kenya is actually changing um respiratory disease for example has overtaken malaria mm. as a number one incidence of reported diseases in the country right wow that's big yes yes and so you know the face of disease in Kenya is changing and you know so a lot of health practitioners were actually in agreement and when you speak to them about even the wider picture of what this actually looks like you even got and the problem is everywhere it's in the way um it's in the way our roads are designed that leads to traffic um it's in the way that we have systematically sabotaged you know public transport leaving people with no choice but to use cars to move around it's in the way we make our buildings so there was actually even a paper that we found in the process of doing this in the process of doing this the research for this article that talked about how skyscrapers were leading to much worse pop, uh, air pollution in Nairobi I, i think as a result of it trapping the air or something like that into or rather it keeping the air from moving around yeah so in some ways even the way we are building you know this rush to make this rush to make um to to make skyscrapers in Nairobi is is actually making things much worse but i'm just wondering in terms of uh you know have you got any reaction from you know local officials in uh, in Nairobi or even the relevant ministries in uh you know reacting to your story any anything officially from the government no no we've not gotten anything official from the government um you know unfortunately unfortunately it's not something that's managed to to elicit reaction from them i think it's certainly a case where by by the time they're reacting it will probably be too late um because you know when we really face the truth when you doing this story i came to understand you know even the trend of what 
um, kind of urbanization Nairobi is going well, if, through. If I can just comment, I think one thing that I think is an opportunity in the kind of journalism that you're doing is that more of this will ultimately make it um, a political issue because at the end of the day, when you constantly raise the bar and do this kind of reporting, then you know people realize that actually these are this is our reality, and therefore they will know that they have an opportunity through their vote and through their engagement uh, to try and bring these issues to the political conversation because that's where the decisions are made. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, and I uh, really enjoyed reading your piece. Um, I think it's incredible. It became very clear to me that whatever it is that we are currently going through as Nairobians and as urban dwelling Kenyans across various cities, all the problems that we currently have are probably going to get worse. And majority of the time, uh, county officials and government are only going to react after the fact. Um, and so I know they will not react now to some of the findings that we have found, we have gotten, but we probably will find that they'll be reacting a lot later once, you know, once uh, everything has tipped over and Nairobi is probably covered in smog, which is probably where we are headed. That was Odanga Madung, data scientist and market researcher at Odipodev in Kenya. You can now download my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher if you have an Android phone, and it's also on Spotify and SoundCloud. Just search for my name, Dickens Olewe. And of course, leave a rating when you find it. If you have any questions or comments, I'm always on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. And as always, thank you so much for listening and for your comments. And until next time, bye-bye.